Well, good morning. Let's try that again. All right. Are you ready to pray? Yes? All right. Join me in prayer, please. Lord, we thank you. We thank you. We thank you for you. We thank you for your love and your grace. Thank you for the new life we have in you. And I pray that you would protect us this morning from distraction, from things that the enemy would try to use to to, uh, keep our eyes off of you. We want to keep our eyes fixated on you this morning, Lord. So fixated on you. I pray that you would meet us where we're at this morning, that you would uh, give us the courage to open our hearts to you in such a way that we are willing to receive all that you have for us. And I pray a, a double dose of that gift of receiving for those of us who don't like to receive or don't know how, that you would give us the strength to let go and just let you do what you want to do here this morning. And so we praise you. We ask that you would speak from your word and that uh, we would hear all that you have for us. And we thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, this morning is a subtle shift into our new series called Prepare Ye the Way. And uh, we have been, over the last, I don't know, about 10 weeks, been talking about the core values we're establishing here at Bridgewood and um, in order to build a discipleship culture. Now, you've heard me say that, right? We want to be a discipleship culture. And there are four main things. When you look at Scripture, there are four general things that you see in a discipleship movement, and one is intentional discipleship, Right? Equipping the saints. Have you heard that phrase before? Equipping those to walk in Jesus. Not just believe in Him. Not just accept Him as Lord and Savior, but actually be equipped to live out a relationship with Jesus. Do you see the difference there? Right? There are a lot of places, a lot of people are great at bringing people into relationship with Jesus, but don't know how to equip them for life in Jesus. That's why we call it born again, because you're having to learn a whole new lifestyle all over again. So, discipleship is about being equipped relationally. Being equipped to walk in Jesus, to walk in that relationship and with His people. Secondly is prayer. Prayer is the life source, if you will, of discipleship. It is constantly being conscious of God's presence. And that's prayer. And that, and that happens in a variety of ways. Uh, ways in which we'll talk about, I don't want to give it all away, but we'll talk about in the, the many weeks to come. Thirdly is, is mission, going where God calls, wherever that be. In a, in a far off land or across the street or in your church. Because I'll tell you what, churches nowadays are some of the biggest mission fields. Because people know about Jesus, but they don't know him. So mission is where God calls. Where you are is a mission field. And then lastly, community. What does it look like to have authentic community as a believer in Christ? What does that look like? And we talked about that last week a little bit. Does anyone remember last week about giving access to people, to who we are, to who Jesus is in us and through us, and being authentic with one another? And that takes time and trust, right? We don't want to cast our pearls before swine, 
but we want to at least be bold enough to take that first step of letting someone know us. Okay. So these are four key things in building a discipleship culture. And we'll be spending about a month on each one, but today we're going to talk about um, kind of the soil, what the soil needs to look like for these to, to, uh, to take root. And um, what we see God doing in order to make that happen. So our series is called Prepare Ye the Way. When Jesus, before Jesus came um, and started his ministry, he was born and he was living. But before he started, who was preparing the way for Jesus? John the Baptist, right? He was getting ready for something. He was getting people ready for something. That's what we see. Getting people ready to receive what was coming. And that's the key word, receive. To take hold of. To allow when Jesus reveals himself to come in in such a way to bring transformation in our lives. So that is when we hear, prepare you the way of the Lord, that's what we're preparing for. It's this encounter with the living Lord through Christ Jesus that does not leave us the way we are. That transforms us. He transforms us from the inside out. So as a staff, we pray all the time. We pray every day. Pray every day for, for you, for us as a church family, and any requests we hear. And a phrase that we kept hearing was these two words, were these two words, be ready. Now, that's frustrating when you only hear two words, be ready for what? Right? It can mean a million different things. So when God says to us, for this place in here, these people, be ready. For what? Lord, we've been through a lot. We've been through so many different transitions. We've been through the ups and the downs. We've seen so many good things happen here. I mean, I, I, what are we to be ready for that we haven't already experienced? What are we to be ready for and, and pay attention to that is going to continue to transform this place? And we kept hearing, and I think God's expanding what this means, but we kept hearing, be ready for the least of these. For the least of these. Well, what does that mean? Well, we see in Scripture what it may mean, and it, it could mean uh, uh, economically, it could mean emotionally, it could mean spiritually, those who are just in need. Many of us, almost all of us at one time or another, were the least of these. So it's still pretty broad. So how do you engage a, a, a phrase like that and respond to it in a way when you don't feel like you have a lot of specifics? So how do we get ready for whatever God may have? How do we do that? What does that look like? So I started thinking about this and praying about this for, for quite a while, and I thought I had an idea, and then I was wrong. You want to have that? Yeah, I have an idea of what this is. And then you find out you're wrong. Well, I was wrong. And the last 24 hours have been a roller coaster. I'm going to be authentic with you. Okay? Are you ready for this? I'm ready to go. And God goes, you're not ready to go. And I'm like, well, I need to be ready to go because I'm preaching in three hours. 
So, everything goes wrong with my computer. Everything goes wrong with my PowerPoint stuff. And, and when, you, when you've done this long enough, now I've been in it my whole life, so I've seen it. You pay attention to these things, right? Because you have your agenda and God has his. And sometimes you try to convince yourself that your agenda is his agenda, when indeed it's not. And so I said, okay, Lord, what do you want to talk about when we're saying this phrase, be ready? And it's something I have been wrestling with, but I wasn't ready to talk about it, but I guess I don't have to be. The Lord's going to do that. I think when we hear be ready, God is asking or telling us to do something that I believe the church as a whole really needs to learn how to do. And that is this. Hold the tension. Hold the tension. Now, when I say that, it may mean nothing to you. But if you look at the culture around us, if you look how the church as a whole responds to certain situations, you can usually see two extremes. You, we have a lot of social issues in this country, don't we? A lot of tough, tough um, situations that are putting the church in a place where we have to respond. And we're at conflict because we see what Scripture says, and we're trying to do our best interpreting of that. And then we see what culture says, and they're in conflict with one another. And so you see the church taking two different sides on most issues. There's either this condemnation, or there's either this condoning. Has anyone seen this other than me? And if you look in Scripture, now there's certain things that Jesus does not compromise on. And, so, and I don't think he ever compromises. But I think we can interpret it as that. But Jesus never just goes to one place or the other. He's able to take two, two different approaches and hold the tension so beautifully that what he does blows up any kind of understanding we had on the situation. And Jesus is saying, be ready, because that is where you're going to live, Bridgewood. And it, it, it almost brings me to tears because that is a huge call. That God wants to use Bridgewood to be an example of how to hold the tension in a way that speaks the name of Jesus. That speaks the name of Jesus. And so, Scripture is full of stories of God holding the tension. Of Jesus being able to take these extreme reactions of, of people and be able to speak something totally different than what they expected because he holds the tension so beautifully. And how does he do that? Well, he says, I only do what I see the what doing? The Father. And so if we begin to do only what we see Jesus doing, then we will be able to hold the tension as Jesus was able to hold the tension. That's why the biggest word out of everything we've talked about is the word with. Because if we're not with him then we will not be able to hold the tension. God wants us to keep focused on him. He does not want us to be giving in to distractions. And there's distractions all around us, big and small. Who's been distracted? Okay. My most embarrassing moment, one of my most embarrassing moments, 
It's hard to pick one. But one of them, I remember being 16 years old, and I stayed out a little bit, a little bit longer than I should have. And mom calls, she says, get home now. Get home now. And it's still in the, the evening, the light's kind of out, you know. Um, it's like 8 o'clock, but the sun's still up. And she's like, get home. So I have a call, right? I have direction. I need to what? Go home now. So I'm doing my thing, going home now. And, uh, you know, being the kind of guy that I am, saw a pretty girl walking across the street. Parallel with me. I'm 16 years old. And I, I can see my block. I can see it. But I can see her out of the corner of my eye. And so all of a sudden, I start to do this. Now, I don't know what this is. And maybe it's just a guy thing. I don't know. But even when we're alone, I think this, at least for me, I, I'm competitive. And so I thought, I need to challenge myself as I'm walking straight home now. I'm going to, like, tightrope the curb and see how long I can stay within the red paint, you know, even with a bus sign and all that stuff, you know. So stupid. So dumb. But I'm bored, and I'm probably in trouble. So, what the hey? So, I start to do this. I see the girl. And all of a sudden, my, my steps are changing. My direction's kind of changing. And I'm looking at her, and I'm like, man, she's pretty. And she looks at me, and I'm like, oh, this is like that moment. And I'm like, we're making eye contact. This is beautiful. And as, as soon as I kind of give her the, the creepy wink kind of thing, you know, she goes like this. And I'm like, what? And I turn around, and I smack right into that bus sign. <laughs> Straight like this, fall on my back into the street, and then I roll back into the gutter. It's a true story. And she's looking at me like, and then I'm like, I'll play the sympathy card. This is cute and endearing, right? I think she's pretty. I get distracted by her beauty. But no. Soon as I get up, I get so panicked and insecure that I'm like, and I turn around to run away, and I smack right into the pole again. (laughs) Hit the ground, fall into the gutter, and now it's not cute. Now she's going, he's stupid. All because I got distracted. My eyes were not fixed on what I was called to. You see that? I mean, it's a funny story. It was not at the time. Let me tell you. Because then you've got a bruise, a reminder for three days how stupid you are. Right? And so we can get really distracted. And God is telling us to keep our eyes fixated on him. Because when we're with him, we'll be able to hold that tension. And, and again, like I was saying, there's a lot of stories. But the one story I want to focus on today, um, we can put it up on the screen here, is John 8, 1 through 11. And many of us know this. But this is the story, the event, where Jesus stands with a woman who's caught in adultery. And what we'll see here is Jesus holding the tension so beautifully that life, new life, is produced. So if you follow along, starting at verse 1. But Jesus went to the Mount of Olives, 
At dawn, he appeared again in the temple courts where all the people gathered around him, and he sat down to teach them. The teachers of the law and the Pharisees brought in a woman caught in adultery. They made her stand before the group and said to Jesus, Teacher, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. In the law, Moses commanded us to stone such a woman. Now what do you say? And they were using this question as a trap in order to have basis for accusing him. Let's stop there for a second. Let's paint this picture. Here come the Christians, if you will, the holy people, okay, the teachers of the law. And they bring before Jesus a woman caught in adultery. Now think of this woman. She's being dragged into this place, stood before them, awaiting judgment. And that judgment is that she is to be stoned to death. Now, this woman is probably feeling shame. She's probably feeling great fear and extreme loneliness. Is that fair to assume, maybe? I mean, we don't know for sure what she's feeling, right? But how would you feel? You get caught doing something you shouldn't be doing, and then you're dragged in front of a bunch of people, humiliated, and then told that they're going to kill you. So let's get the weight of this situation here. And you have a group of people that are really wanting her to die and think she should. And we'll find that her only advocate, the only one that will stand with her, is one that knows the law better than any of these lawmakers, any of these Pharisees. And so they try to, they, they test him. And they, you know, you think, after all the, Several times they try to test Jesus. They would just stop, right? Because he's making them look like idiots. So they say to him, now what do you say? And Jesus bent down and started to write on the ground with his finger. When they kept on questioning him, he straightened up and said to them, let any one of you who is without sin be the first to throw a stone at her. Again, he stooped down and wrote to the ground. At this, those who heard began to go away one at a time, the older ones first, until only Jesus was left, with the woman still standing there. Jesus straightened up and asked her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? No no one, sir, she says. Then neither do I condemn you, Jesus declared. Go now, leave your life of sin. Now, there's a lot here. Jesus bends down, and he writes in the ground. Now, we don't know what he was writing, not for any certainty. Has anyone ever wondered what he writes that knows this story, right? Well, I was looking into this and, and thinking and praying and, and just watching Jesus' patterns and how he pulls things out from the prophets during his ministry, and he quotes them, and he does things almost figuratively in a way to connect those two things to make a point. This is just a theory, okay? But it gets us thinking. Because when we're talking about holding the tension, what we see here is the teachers of the law, the Pharisees, who are considered the holy people, moving towards condemnation. And Jesus is standing with this woman. He's standing on her behalf, which almost looks like he's condoning her behavior, doesn't it? Before we read what he says at the end, 
if you're one of the teachers of the law, wouldn't you think he's condoning this? And that's what they wanted. They wanted to trap him. And he says that famous thing, no, whoever's, whoever hasn't sinned, throw the first stone. And well, man, they can't do that, right? Because we've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Then he says to her, has anyone condemned you? Who's condemned you? Well, no one, sir. He goes, neither do I. But there's a caveat. Sin no more, right? Well, here's the theory. When we see and hear about Jesus riding the ground, what is he riding? Well, Jeremiah 17 gives us some insight into what he may have written. And it would make sense. Here we have Jeremiah talking about the sin of Judah, and he's having a conversation with the Lord, and he says, he says this to the Lord. He says in verse 13, O Lord, the hope of Israel, all who turn away from you will be disgraced. They will be, their names will be written in the dust of the earth. For they have abandoned the Lord, the fountain of living water. Now, there's a context to that in Jeremiah. We understand that. But we also know that Jesus has taken things from the prophets and used them. Now, here he stands before people that claim to be in the name of the Lord, and they want to condemn this woman to death. And Jesus has come to redeem. And so it's quite possible that these guys are witnessing their names being written in the dirt. It's possible, because in that moment, they've turned away from him. They're trying to trap him so that they can ultimately kill him. And who would they be killing? The son of the living Lord. And so we have this interesting scene here. Now again, I don't know if that's absolutely true. But it makes sense, doesn't it? I think it does. I think here we have Jesus identifying that these people are claiming to be walking in me, but they're not. Now, whether he's saying those people are, are going to hell or this or that, I don't know. But I do believe that if they saw this writing happening, it probably triggered something in their hearts. That's my thought. Because any time Jesus does something like that, I mean, look how he stood with this woman. Do you think it probably changed her heart to see a teacher of the law who some are saying, or Elijah, is Elijah? Some are saying is the son of God. And this guy is standing with her. You better believe that probably transformed her heart in a lot of different ways, because here's someone who knows the same law that these guys know, but is only doing what he sees the Father doing, and he's told to love this woman. But in the same time, not condoning the behavior because he gives her a command to not do this again. Leave this. So we see a picture of his heart, don't we? And we see him holding this so beautifully. Because here you have all the guys that want to condemn her. And he may be approaching it going, guys, you're missing the mark. And that could be what the, the writing means. You're missing the mark. You're missing me. That symbol means that they've turned their backs on him. And that's what they would, as, as guys who know the law inside and out, you better believe they would know that. 
You better believe they know what the, the prophet Jeremiah says. These guys had to memorize this stuff back then. They didn't have as much access to paper and all that that we have. So they had to know this stuff inside and out. So that could have been a symbol to them or a statement to them saying, you're turning your back on me. So Jesus calls into account both parties, but in different ways. And I think it's pretty miraculous. You could give me a million years, and I don't know if I'd ever respond that way. I mean, is that, is that challenging for anyone to see? I mean, how to do that so beautifully? So he says, hold the tension. Be ready, Bridgewood, because I'm calling you to hold the tension. There are going to be the least of these coming in here who have been hearing one thing from the culture, one thing from the church, and there's brokenness in there. They've been burnt by the church. They've been burnt by culture. And so they're, they're, they're looking for a place, and people will stand them up in front of people to condemn them. What are we going to do? How are we going to respond? We know what Scripture says about a lot of these cultural things that are happening, but we can't sit there and condemn people to death, and we can't sit here and say, everything's okay, hunky-dory, let's just be okay with everything, so we don't have to engage the conflict. We have to be the first ones to engage the conflict. But do it in a way where we're holding the balance, we're holding the tension, because when we do that well, we'll see something that wasn't on our radar. Because Jesus broke in from the unseen to be seen. The uncreated breaking into the created world. So when you're born again, you're learning to live an uncreated life. Does that make sense? You're learning to live in the ways of the uncreated living Lord. And so you better believe when we hold the tension, when we're with him, when we move with him in these situations, whatever situation a person brings in, if we say, okay, Lord... Here I am, use me. I'm ready to be with you, abide in you in every way possible. We will begin to hold the tension and you will see something uncreated coming into a created atmosphere and changing everything. Changing everything. Some of us have have not been heard our whole lives. No one will just hear us. No one will just listen to us. And we have a God who listens and a God who cares. So when you sit down with someone and you listen, you just listen. You can see that person's whole countenance change because they haven't been listened to before. And guess what? You didn't do anything. According to you, right? I didn't do anything. I just listened. Does anyone experience that? But what's so powerful of that? You're doing what you see the Father doing. And because of that, Something divine has happened. Breakthrough has happened. And it's just as simple as listening to someone. And there's all different kinds of ways that happens. Holding that wonderful tension. Because when someone comes to us with an issue, we want to what? Fix it, right? We want to help solve it. Or help make someone feel comfortable. Or something to better the situation. So we already have an idea and an expectation of what needs to happen. So we've already diagnosed the situation, even though we don't have all the information. And if we do that too prematurely, there can be damage. But if we say, okay, Jesus, lead me. I'm going to go where you go. I'm going to do whatever you want me to do. 
you know the situation, I don't, I'll just be available, that's the best posture you can have because now God can use you to hold that tension in such a way that something uncreated happens. And I use that word just to say something beautiful and divine and godly happens. Uh, a few years ago, I was at a men's retreat in um, Southern California somewhere. I don't know. Is it Palomar Mountain? Where are you? And um, there was a, our speaker was a guy named Joe Johnson, who's just an amazing, amazing man. And um, a sweetheart of a guy. And um, I had been doing some mentoring with him, him mentoring me, not, not vice versa. Um, and I've been telling him my story, and I was going through some years of trauma, some deep, hard stuff. And he was walking me through and listening to me. And I'm watching things break apart in my life, and in a good way, right? The walls breaking down, the anger breaking down. And all the while, he can say, Buck up, Brendan. Jesus is on the throne. That's all you need. Now, I grew up hearing that from family members. I would try to open up about some, oh, pish posh. I heard that, that exact phrase. Oh, pish posh, Jesus is on the throne. Well, great. Then put me there with him. Because I didn't feel that way, right? And so we're, we're in a room full of about 100 men. And Joe wants me to stand and pray with people because out of 100 men, only about 10 of us had ever heard our father say they love us. They've, only 10 of them have heard their dad say, I love you, right? And my dad always said it to me, so I couldn't really relate to that. I was going through different kind of stuff. But Joe had us come up, those of us who are healthy enough and, and ready to go, to pray for these guys and embrace them with a fatherly embrace and pray for them. And so I get up there, but I'm finding that every guy I go up to minister to is now ministering to me and giving me a hug and and saying words of knowledge, like, I'm like, how do you know that stuff? And Joe sees me from across the room. And he could say, Brendan, buck up. Right? That's the Christian thing. You know, Jesus is on the throne. But what he did was he discerned what God wanted to do in that moment, and he came over, and as he's coming over, he just starts sobbing because he knew... For four years, I haven't been able to cry, and I was able to cry for the first time over my pain in four years, and he sat there and hugged me and sobbed. And I'm not talking teary. I'm talking, <laughs> and held me to his chest, and I'm sitting there trying to minister to other people, but God had something different because this guy, Joe, was able to say, Lord, what needs to be done here? It looks like, you know, either buck up or get over it. But no, there was something different. And, and Joe was able to hold that tension because he wanted to go where Jesus was going, and Jesus wanted me to be embraced, to feel safe, to just boo-hoo. And I did. And something broke. Bridgewood, we get to be that for people. We get to be those people that don't try to diagnose the situation with this self-righteousness, but get to look at it and say, God, what are you saying, and how do I posture myself in such a way that I hold the tension so that life can be breathed into this person, and they can be free and experience wholeness? Jesus wants wholeness for us. Here's a woman who's broken. She's broken. 
She's in shame, and she's about to be put to death. And the only one that will stand with her is the one that says, I see you. And he doesn't condone her behavior, but he embraces her heart and says, I am with you in it. I will not condemn you, but go and leave this life of sin. He listened to her. He stood with her. We're not, we're not put on this earth to be the judge and executioner. Now, there will be moments where we have to discern proper judgment, okay? but it's not ours to say, you know, we know your entire situation, frontwards and backwards, and this is the solution. You need to die, or you need to do this, or you can't step into this community because you're like this, and blah, 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 blah. That's not our job. Our job is to hold the tension. Our job is to say, Lord, what do you want me to see? I'm with you in this. Have your way. And when that happens, guess what? He has his way. He has his way. One of the ways that, you know, here we've been holding attention beautifully is in the ministry we have called Soul Care, where it's simply almost what I experienced with Joe, where it's you being heard and someone coming alongside you, loving you through the process, not judging you, not saying, mm, why'd you do that? That actually kind of hurts. <laughs> right? But simply loving you in the midst. That's one way Lord's teaching us hold the tension here. There are other ways, how we pray together, how we worship in here, giving the freedom. God's doing a lot of good things here. I really hope you see that. And a lot of things in you. And, and if you think, if you're one of those people like me going, man, I'm never going to arrive, and what's the point? Well, you're right. You're never going to fully arrive here on earth. But you, you can come close, meaning the closer you are to Jesus, the more you're with him, the more you look like him. The more his heart begins to, begins to expand in your own. So no matter where you are, he wants to stand with you and say, neither I condemn you, but I'm going to work with you so that your behavior looks like my behavior. That's a gracious and merciful, loving Father. Is it not? So when we talk about prepare ye the way, when we're talking about preparing the way for discipleship culture here, the posture we have to have is one in which we hold the tension. Now, I don't know how we do that in every situation except for being with Jesus, and he will let us know. So, is it scary? Yup. Because we don't have all the information. But we have the information necessary to make the decisions we need to make that will glorify Him. Remember that. We always, God gives us everything we need for life in Him. So in that moment where you think you don't need anything, or you don't know what to do, Jeremiah says, don't just, tr they say trust in the Lord. But then right after that he says, and trust is the Lord. So not only trust in Him, but He is your trust. So wherever you are with him, their trust is, and there you know he's going to deliver the right word through you at the right time and place. He'll give you everything you need. Now we've got to practice that. And so that's what we're going to be talking about. How do we practice that in prayer, in community, in mission, in intentional discipleship? What does it look like to hold that tension? What does it look like to be with him day in and day out in such a beautiful way that he has his way in all of those areas?
Are you tracking with me? Yes? I know no greater call than that. How many of you, to you, this seems hard? Be honest. It's going to be a challenge. Yeah. If any of you have it figured out down pat, please let me know. I would, I would love to know how you do it down pat, but look around you. This is your church family. These are the people, whether you know them or not, I hope you get to know them. We're having a potluck to begin that process, right? But whether you know them or not, we're called to engage in one another. We're ta- called to be authentic with one another so that we can begin to trust one another so that we understand we're not going through this stuff alone. And we can be edified by the body and edify others. So we're going to go in a time of um, worship and, and communion and offering. And as we do that, I just want you to practice receiving. How many of you, it's tough for you to receive things? Ask for help? It's okay. Go ahead and raise your hand. I actually really want to see this. Okay. So when I say raise your hand, you guys know this, right? I mean actually raise your hand. It's not like a hypothetical, you know. Okay. Um, I want you to receive because I believe God just wants to rest on you. Just rest on you. Some of you are so weary and tired. And when you talk about holding the tension, all that seems like a lot of work. And it will be challenging. So in this time, I just want you to breathe in, enjoy what God wants to um, give you this morning. Enjoy the peace he wants to give you. Enjoy the grace he wants to give you. And let's just enter in this time, breathing him in and out, just being with him. No tasks except to just be with him. Is that okay? Let's pray. Lord, we um, thank you that you invite us to be with you. We thank you that uh, you give us a place of safety so that we can be known. I thank you for what we see in your word. These examples of how you're not this tyrant. You're this loving God that holds this beautiful balance of response to who we are such a wonderful way that it breathes new life into us. And I ask forgiveness, Lord, for where we have tried to um, take things in our own hands and cast unhealthy judgment, cast verdicts on people that are not ours to pass or to give. Show us here, Lord, in Jesus' name, how we, are, how we stay with you in such a way that we hold that tension as beautifully as you did. Because the world needs you, the real you, not what we've made you to be, but who you truly are, and we really, truly need to learn to hold that tension so people can see you for who you truly are. And so I thank you that this is a call that you're putting on us. We receive that call. We accept that call, and we're ready, Lord. We want to be, um, we're ready to receive it. We may not have all the answers, but we know that as long as we abide in you and you in us, we'll have everything we need for when we need it. And so I thank you that we, we don't have to just trust in you, but you are our trust. 
that double dose. I just thank you so much that you are our trust. So we pray that um, as we bring our tithes and our offerings to you, Lord, that you would receive the trust we have in you. That we would trust you with everything that we are, everything that you've given us, financially, relationally, as far as time goes as well. And that we would give faithfully, consistently to you, Lord, for you are worthy. You are worthy of all things. And so we thank you, and I just pray that you would help us receive this morning. Just rest in you. Just rest in you. We thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen.